I would like to welcome Bob Becker from uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. He's an ultra runner, race director, many, many things he have done in the running community. He's also a record holder for the uh, race for the ages uh, last year. Um, so when he finished that race, and I wanted to interview him, but it took a, almost a year now to be here. Welcome to Emron's podcast, Bob. Thank you, Simone. I really appreciate the chance to be here. Tell us about your uh, weather down there in the Florida, you know, with everything going on. Uh, tell us about how the weather and running right now and under this condition. Well, uh, unfortunately, Florida is the COVID capital of the world right now. So um, everyone, particularly those of us who are beyond a certain age, are being pretty careful um, about our contact with other people. So um I'm still running, but I run early in the morning and I've carved out a one mile loop here in my neighborhood. That's basically where I'm running and where I'm staying. Uh, you know, it's hot and humid. It always is this time of year, which is fine. But again, I'm running uh, by myself almost all the time and uh, staying local and keeping a route that's short so that I basically can control who I'm running into. Definitely. Uh, so you're almost the race that you mentioned pre-interview when we're talking that most of the races that you had planned uh, this year for 2020 has canceled or canceled or still canceling. Uh, tell us about what, what, what kind of races you had on your calendar this year. Well, originally I had intended to uh, try to go back to Badwater, which I've completed three times, and um, the Badwater series of races, which I love and have done uh, many times. Uh, as it turned out, I uh, had to have my right shoulder replaced in February, so that really cut into the training and into the racing this year. Um, so the all of those races were, were canceled, including a couple of others that I had hoped to run. But I was going to go back to Badwater 135 and crew for a friend of mine who was going to run it for the first time. And uh, about a week and a half ago, as you probably know, Badwater was canceled. Um, Chris Cosman thought he had all the permits in hand, but with a spike in COVID cases in California, uh, one of his permits was pulled, so that was the end of that. Um, the race, the first real race I was going to run, long one, was a an inaugural stage race, uh, also a Badwater Series race uh, in Artsakh, which is contiguous to Armenia. I was going to fly over there for a six-day, 160-mile uh, race. I, I really like stage races a lot, but again, that race was canceled, and um, you know the probably wouldn't have been possible for an American to fly over there at this point anyhow. So uh, no races uh, other than some short local stuff, but I am hoping to run a 100-miler this fall if any of the three that I've signed up for actually happen. So uh, who knows at this point? <laughs> at this point, who knows? Fall is almost here. Uh, I look at my calendar and uh, I look at some of the races I still have. Big city races and some of the trail races. I think the local trail race will happen. Maybe, uh, like, yeah, maybe maybe I'll run 100 mile here locally, close to my home, uh, Blood Rock. Uh, we have a uh, 100 mile. I usually run 50k or 50 mile, but it's like 10 minutes from my house, so <laughs> I'm gonna run 100 mile because the race director here he puts out a very tough course in a 600 feet elevation. Uh, state park so, so <laughs> yeah so it's a definitely a little bit interesting but yeah fall will be an interesting time uh, uh I, I don't know when all the races will open up so hopefully not for long we will we will get back and running again so well i certainly hope you're right because um i'm anxious as well and um 
you know, it may turn out that races that are very small uh, may be able to go ahead so people can keep their distance. There won't be a whole lot of partying going on on post-race. And um, the way we used to do packet pickups, certainly at my race, is very social events. I don't think those are going to happen for a while. <laughs> no. uh, whatever they look at least to do the run itself, um, I think there may be some happening. It's just the question of figuring out which one and trying to get in before they're sold out. Definitely. Uh, here locally, we have a lot of races uh, kind of you know happening. Um, a lot of virtual race now. I have my own feeling about virtual races, but uh, but a lot of races are happening here um, in in Alabama area. So so we'll see how long that'll go on, or you know if we haven't shut down, maybe we will not have it. But but I'm I'm like uh, you. I'm just hoping that this will go on, and there is no after race party for sure. Not as big as we used to have, you know. For sure. So let's uh, let's move on. Uh, let's talk about um, your running running journey a little bit. Uh, you've been looks like you've been running a. For a long time, I saw in your bios twenty two thousand three, but but I think uh, maybe you're running b- before that. Let's talk about uh, your your running running journey and uh, talk briefly. T- tell us about also tell us about your age. Uh, just let's just talk about your running journey. How long you've been running? Sure. Well, back in high school, I ran the mile and um, always played sports. And my whole adult life, basically, I played sports. I never, I, I really didn't run. I didn't really race. I did run to stay in shape, you know, go to the gym and, and, and run some. But mostly it was it was playing sports until um, you know, around 2000. And I started doing a few 5Ks around here after moving to Florida from Minneapolis. So in 2002, uh, some friends from the Minneapolis area said, hey, we're going to run a marathon. Why don't you come up and run with us? And uh, it was Grandma's Marathon up in Duluth, Minnesota. And it sounded like a great excuse to see my friends, great excuse for a party. So I said, sure. And I started training for it. I went up to uh, to Duluth to run grandma's. It was going to be a, you know, a one and done, but I ran well and I qualified for Boston. So I said, well, you know, got to do that. So <laughs> the next year, uh, 2003, I ran Boston and started training and running with a group down here, pretty good runners. And uh, one day the following year, 2004, one of them said to me, did you ever hear of the Marathon de Salle? It's, uh, it's an ultra marathon. And uh, my question to him in response was, what's an ultra marathon? Uh, I had no idea. <laughs> Bottom line is I went home, checked it out. And the next Saturday morning when we ran together, I said, you know, that uh, Marathon de Sable sounds like an amazing thing. It's over in Morocco in the Sahara Desert. And the next event, the next Marathon de Sable is next April. And I said, Jared, aren't you turning 40 next year? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, I'm turning 60. We've got a couple of big b- birthdays coming up. Why don't we go over there and run the thing at celebrate our birthdays that way and basically that's what we did so in 2005 i ran my first ultra which was mds marathon de Sable, in morocco and i was hooked i love the sport i love the people the camaraderie the whole thing that uh anybody that's ever done an ultra knows exactly what i'm talking about so from that point on i started running ultras and a couple of years later i actually wound up uh, deciding that i would try to put on an ultra marathon as a race director here in Florida. There really weren't any ultras in South Florida. So the Keys 100 was born in uh, in 2007. Really, the first year was 2008. And I had no idea what I was getting myself into, but loved it. And I've been doing it ever since. So yeah, my running ultras started totally accidentally, just like that. Uh, but I became so enamored of the sport that uh, I've been running ever since. So 
I'm 75 now, and I don't have any intention of stopping as long as I'm on this side of the dirt. <laughs> that's a that's a really great statement. Definitely, I always uh, say that. You know, I may stop running someday, but today is not the day. I think that's a that's a you true to your statement as well. So, yeah. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, running uh, ultra ultra distance is uh, somebody is it similar for me? It's like I somebody had to push me into doing ultra. So, but but once you get there, it's just you know it's a different. Uh, I mean, I still do heavily do road and trail both, and ultra distance and short distance. But definitely, uh, being an ultra runner is much different. Competing in ultra circuit is much different than road running road racing so tell us about uh in your experience being an um, older athlete uh and running of such a far distance uh you're talking about you know bad water and you're talking 100 milers and so on and then doing the stage races trans rocky and so on you know as you get older how do you keep up with your uh in training you know staying inactive and and try to you know covered that distance. One of the disadvantages living here in South Florida is there are very, very few trails around here. Obviously, there aren't any mountains or steep hills. There are also almost no trails. So my training is not exclusively, but almost exclusively running on roads here. And the training I do for hills is basically running back and forth over the causeway, the bridge down here that's a half a mile long and um, all of 75 feet above sea level at its top it's so it's you know and, uh, i'll do things like uh running stairs i pull a tire behind me as a way to create to simulate running hills because of the drag that it creates but it's really hard to train for trail races because again there aren't really any down here so i guess there are two parts to that uh, two answer two parts of the answer to that question first i'll still do a lot of road race road ultras which includes Badwater, for example which is my very favorite ultra marathon. So uh, that's one. Uh, some of the the fixed time races typically, not always, but typically are on a paved surface. So, but you know, you referred earlier, and we can certainly talk about ARFTA, a race for the ages that I won last year, and, and that was on pavement. But when I'm running trail races, it really depends on the trail race. What I have found is the more technical, very steep uh, races are, are very tough for me to do within a reasonable time limit um, because I just can't train for it. And on the downhills, I used to be pretty fast and uh, pretty carefree coming down hills, but I find myself being much more careful because one spill and uh, it could end, it could wipe me out. So without wanting to be overly cautious, I find myself more cautious as I've gotten older when running trail races. So um, like last year in January, January of 2019, I ran Brazil 135, which is, you know, which is trails almost exclusively um, and in the mountains of Brazil. And I found myself doing fine. And uh, but I had plenty of time to finish the race. It was 135 miles, but we had 60 hours to do it with that kind of time. Uh, the, the, the same kind of pressure wasn't on, like, for example, Western states, where you have 30 hours, which is which uh, I, I did run a couple of years ago and didn't do very well. Uh, I was also sick at the start, but. I found myself really uh, having a difficult time with the steepness and length of those of those hills. So I have to pick my races carefully. Is really the bottom line. I have to be realistic about what I can what I can do and can't do. You mentioned Trans Rockies a while ago. Trans Rockies is a stage race in Colorado. I loved it. Did fine. Had a great time. It was a great race. Well, um, Leadville is run on a lot of that same course, but Leadville has much tighter time limits. So. 
while I haven't done Leadville, I probably won't make an effort to because I'd, pr- I'd probably struggle with the time limit. Long answer, but it really is a function of being more selective in the races that I choose to do. Definitely. Uh, a lot of time we look at the race as like, oh, yeah, we can do this. And um, for me, it's uh, not even a, a yeah, it's right now my struggle is much different. Hopefully I can overcome. I've been trying to train that, uh, train through it and see how, how that'll play. I mean, training is important. Sometimes, a lot of time, I show up at races, <laughs> not enough training, but sometimes it's not not enough time to train. Um, but let's talk about um, Arta. I, I think that's how you said it. Uh, the the race for for ages that that you just mentioned. Some of the listeners, if they don't know what that is, let's talk about from there, and then uh, talk about your achievement there, and then I can ask a few questions. Sure, a race for the ages or Arta is a creation of Gary Cantrell, otherwise known as Lazarus Lake of Barclays Marathon fame. And you know, if uh, if Laz puts a race on, it's going to be different, right? Definitely. Well, ARFTA is a fixed time race, like a 12-hour race or a 24-hour race. But this one is age handicapped, meaning that the number of hours you have to run to see how far you can go is equal to your age. So if you're 50 years old, you've got 50 hours to run on this one mile paved loop to see how many miles you can go. Last year I was 74, so I had 74 hours to see how far I could go on this one mile paved loop. That's where the 74 comes from, okay. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So that's that's the unique nature of, of that race. So earlier in the year when I was encouraged to do it by a friend of mine, I looked at it carefully and I thought this really could be the only opportunity in my life to ever win a race because I've got plenty of time, and I really sat down to figure out what kind of realistic pace I could keep. So my strategy for the race was carefully thought out, and I was able to sustain the pace I had hoped to do. And so, um, and I can tell you what I did if you're interested. Definitely. Uh, and I was able to actually win and also break the record by by a couple of miles. So I did 230 miles in those 74 hours. Really, the secret to the thing was recognizing that going that far, I would be walking at least half of the distance. I knew I wouldn't be running the whole thing. And I didn't want to go out and run and just wear myself out and then do a death march for the rest of the race. So I figured out a run-walk sequence, an equal sequence of running and walking. But instead of doing something like a mile run, a mile walk, or you know, five minutes run, five minute walk, that kind of thing. I started playing in with my in training. I started playing with the idea of running for one minute and walking for one minute. Hmm. And what what I found was that the one minute I was running, I was able to run at a faster pace because in just a minute I was able to recover from that one minute run. So I started Arfta running and walking, one minute run, one minute walk, and I sustained that for the entire 74 hours. I was able to do it towards the end just as I was able to do it at the beginning. And I was able to, uh, you know, work in the necessary breaks and quick naps and all that and, um, and make it and make it happen. So I picked the right race and figured out the right strategy for me. Uh, and it just all came together and the stars aligned and I had a good day. Yeah, it sounds like a good day for you. Uh, uh, definitely. Uh, that's it's interesting thought um jeff galloway talks about uh what what you're describing uh, uh his uh i have seen as small break uh, as he was talking about 30 seconds running and uh 30 second walking that's 
that's way too much for me to <laughs> even think about it. But uh, definitely it sounds like it, it worked well for you. So whenever you walk a minute, uh, you, are you going faster pace walking or are you just trotting along, just walking? How, how does that walk versus run? What's the, what's the speed like? Well, I'm tra- you know I'm training for run for walking as well as running. That particular race, because I knew I was going to be out there for a long time, and I really was shooting for the record, which was 228 miles. I didn't want to burn out, so uh, my walking pace probably averaged around 16 to 17 minute miles, and my running pace was probably in the depending on where I was in the race, probably in the 10 and a half to 11 and a half minute range average it all in and uh again you know there there were some breaks and and the numbers worked out so uh and also it was a relatively flat course if it had been very hilly i would have had a different strategy probably so yeah definitely being hilly and not knowing that where the hills will come or you know if you're in a larger loop it's hard to navigate but it looks like it's in pretty pretty decent pacing you're doing uh you know so so that's a that's that's i guess that's that's how what it helped you and on, on that such a long race, uh, 74 hours of you running, how did you do work with your nutrition? I know you you had to take a nap. I have, I've seen my friends running 48 hours. You know, they're, they're kind of always eating on the go and sleeping on the go and so on. <laughs> my friend Zimmy Barnes, he runs a lot of those. So so he always wanted me to come and run their, those races. I don't think I'll ever make it, but, but he would never know. So, but tell us about uh, the nutrition aspect of this uh whole running 74 hours right well yeah nutrition and and also um you know napping or sleeping i i think i took one hour and a half nap and i had probably five or six 20 minute naps and that's about it so Mm. i kept going kept awake uh most of the time uh you know the adrenaline was pumping i had a goal in mind but as far as uh, nutrition is concerned i had my own little aid station and i had two friends of mine who came and crewed for me the whole time. Uh, so every mile I would pass my own little aid station set up and could have could, could ac- access any food I wanted to. And what I found when I have either a, an aid station like that or have a crew supporting me and have access to refrigeration, um, I actually will rely on Ensure, you know, the, the – uh, the drink that my that my mother drank towards the end of her life because it has protein and fat and carbohydrate. I will drink a half a bottle of Ensure every hour, mm. which is about 130 calories, and either a gel or some other type of some type of food product that'll give me another 100 or 120 calories. So I'm shooting for roughly 250 calories an hour. I find that my body won't absorb much more than that, and. Uh, most of the time, um, if I'm running in hot, especially at warm weather, hot weather races, I'm consuming mostly fluids or gels, something that's very easy to get down and not a whole lot of solid food. At night, I might have uh, you know, noodles or ramen or something like that or soup. But uh, for the most part, it's, again, fluids or gels. And I found that Ensure really works well for me. I get it down. I keep it down. I don't have any stomach issues. And I'm also able to handle gels without any problem at all. So that's basically pretty simple definitely i think i have tried insure i suffered through some of these races and i was like i want to try some insure it has helped me but i have forgotten about it now <laughs> i need to put that back in my list of things must have before i go do really long runs but uh, yeah one well, of the things that uh, for my struggle is i do 
uh, eat a lot of like to eat a lot of solid food uh, during the run at long race 100 mile or they're listening to you um, you know as you get older or, or even young young folks uh, you may want to do eat some of those things that's digest and dilute yeah. in your body quickly if you can eat solid food i think that's great especially to supplement you know your the liquids you're taking down or you know, if you run with something like heat or something like tailwind or, you know, where you're getting some calories that way, that's great. I usually just drink straight water, hmm. uh, sometimes tailwind, but usually straight water. But yeah, I think if you can take down solid food, I think that's good. But uh, for me, I find that uh, I'm better off not eating a whole lot of solids. Then my last hundred, which which is now in almost a year and a half, I cannot believe it hasn't been that long. I supposed to run in March and then, you know, how things were went in March. So, so anyway, so I'm looking forward to get back in a hundred mile run, and um, maybe I need to try some of those foods and see how that all play out. Nutrition is one of the biggest part of running a distance race because you know beyond the physical ability, if you don't have good food and you know you're throwing up all over the course, which I do a lot. So you know it's not yeah. fun. You know, not only it's not fun, it's sometimes not you can finish it and. And it, it has happened to me, I almost had to give up because of those situations. So It's a vital part of the whole process of doing an ultra, no question about it. I did want to mention the uh, the last long trail race I did was Havelina, Havelina 100 in Arizona oh, I don't know, a couple of years ago. And uh, there I did access what they had available at the aid stations because I did not have a crew. I didn't have my own personal aid station. So Ensure really wasn't available to me. Uh, so I used other things instead, but gels still were an important part of, of my nutrition plan, and I just supplemented it with other things. Again, the goal being to get in about 200, 250 calories, and then to be sure I was taking electrolytes on a regular basis so that I was keeping my body balanced that way too. Yeah, definitely. The road races, I do gel. I pop gel all over the place. Trail racing, I don't eat any gel. I try not to because it's just a aftertaste in my mouth it just stays longer and then if you're running really long race it's not fun uh, that's what i noticed uh, what kind of gel do you use do you have any specific gel or are you just general goo or something you use yeah i generally use honey stinger i like mm. their product um, but if i'm running a trail race uh, in particular i'll try to use whatever they're offering at the aid stations Occasionally, the product that's offered, and you can generally find out in advance what they're offering, is a product I don't like. So I just bring my own. I'll, you know, I'll wear a hydration vest typically anyhow on a trail race, and I just carry everything with me. So I'm, you know, pretty self-sufficient when it comes to gels, at least. And then again, I'll eat whatever they're offering at the aid stations. Even, you know, drink drinking a Coke or something like that adds calories as well. So. If it's a trail race, I'm trying to find out what they're offering and eat as much of the food they're offering along the way. Uh, that's what I'll do. Definitely. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I have, last year, whenever I ran that 100 here in Lake Morton, I had a, that was the first time I had a fully stocked aid station for me. And we had a food from home, cooked, and everything's like everything possible. I wanted to make it a perfect race. You know what happened at the end? It's I still <laughs> back to the, <laughs> I still had the same issue. So it's a, for me it's like uh, I'll just now on. I told this year as we were getting ready before the race got canceled. I told my family like you do not have to come and we're not gonna do this this year. I'll just eat whatever is out there and I'll survive. That that was my thing. But I'm I'm with you on that eating. 
whatever provided at the aid station. I like that a lot. It's very important to train with what you're going to eat out there. So mm. uh, I never eat anything at a race that I haven't uh, had beforehand and trained with beforehand. I don't want any unpleasant surprises. So it's really important that you find out what's going to be offered so you can uh, train with it and um, that you're, you're, you're used to it. You know you can handle it or that you can't, in which case you stay away from it, right? Definitely, yeah. Yeah, I have uh, I have a friend who who said that, that he had to drop out a race because he ended up eating um, bacon, and that, that bacon was half-cooked or whatever happened. And after that, they, that he ate that bacon in the A station, and it just, next 10 miles or so, things went bad to worse to just he had to drop out. You're right about That's that, you know, so... So definitely, you have to watch what you eat. Uh, let's uh, let's talk about uh, before I will go. We go too much on this uh, podcast. I definitely like to talk to you about your Keys 100. Uh, I have heard about this race. Let's talk about this race uh, a little bit. You know, it sounds really wonderful, and I always want to run that race. Sure, I'd be glad to. Yeah, it's uh, it's a very unique race. It's a it's a hundred mile point to point road race. You're running from Key Largo to Key West, so you're running almost the entire length of the Keys. You're crossing 40 islands along the way. You have the Atlantic Ocean on your left and Florida Bay, the Caribbean Sea on the right. So there's a lot of spectacular scenery. If you like turquoise, this is your race. This would have been the 13th year. We did have to cancel the race in May. It's always the third Saturday in May. Uh, we have a 100-miler, a 50-miler, a 50K, and we also have two team races, a 100-mile six-person relay and a 50-mile three-person relay that we were going to add this year. So the race is typically most years we have about a thousand people in the race, usually about you know, 250 or so individual 100-milers. Again, the race goes from Key Largo to Key West. Uh, you can have your own support crew and or you can avail yourselves of the Uh, aid stations that are set up along the way so basically we have aid stations every 10 miles and a couple of extras so we have 11 aid stations and every five miles if there's no aid station there's an ice and water stop that isn't staffed but coolers and you know self-supported water and ice so basically every five miles you have race provided support plus along the way there are plenty of stores and food stores and so on fast food joints with the 100 mile race probably uh two-thirds Well, roughly two-thirds of the runners have their own support crew and the rest don't. Uh, the shorter races, uh, not as many people have crew, but a lot of them do. It's it's a race that was originally intended to be in May when the weather's hot. That is definitely a hot weather race. We wanted to add to the challenge of the distance an additional factor. And since hills are not part of the process, it's a very flat race. We thought heat would be a good idea. So hmm. for a better or worse, for all these years now, It's been a race on again the third Saturday in May, and it's uh, it's a great deal. It's a great deal of fun. It's a heck of a challenge, but you know you also wind up in Key West, which is a wonderful place to hang out for a day or two of R and R after your after your finish running. Definitely sounds like a, that's sounds like a fun. Tell us about on, on this race. Uh, are you running? I know there's a lot of bruises. Uh, is there running areas or how, how does that whole whole set yeah. work is is it a separate place to run how, how does that work good good question yeah about 75 of the race you're you're not on the road shoulder you're actually on uh bike paths pedestrian bridges which parallel the roads service roads so uh about 75 of it you're off the road 
on about the remaining 25%, roughly 20, 25%, you're running on the road shoulder facing traffic. Hmm. The longest part of that is kind of the, the, the well-known, the famous seven mile bridge, which uh, is in fact seven miles long. There's no parallel span. So you are running on the road shoulder, which we cone for safety uh, on seven mile bridge and seven mile plus another, oh, maybe 15 more miles in bits and pieces, you're actually on the road shoulder. Otherwise, you're not on the road itself. The, the seven-mile race, uh, how early or how late it's in the in the race in that one? Right in the middle of the race. So uh, if you're doing the – well, if you're doing the 100-mile race, halfway down is the city of Marathon. Marathon is at mm -hmm. the 50-mile point, and seven-mile bridge is three miles beyond the marathon stop. So it's 53 miles into the race. If you run the 50-miler, uh, then – That starts right there, so you're you're three miles before you hit the bridge. But you're going to be there in the heat of the day. You're not going to be there early morning, uh, and most likely you're not going to be there late at night. So you know you want to wear a hat, you want to cover up, you want to use sunblock, and you want to carry enough fluid to get you across a seven-mile span where you do not have and cannot have any support. Your crew can't stop, and there are no aid stations on the bridge. So that's what you need to prepare for. Definitely. Sounds like a fun race. Hopefully I can show up one day, run that race, uh Whenever it opens up, so hopefully next year. I do pace the Miami Marathon, but but I haven't been that way, so I'd love to go. Maybe one day I'll just drive down and see see how things are. Yeah, I'd love to have you come down. Sir. <laughs> Definitely. Um, let's talk about uh, some of the other things uh, you have done in uh, as a racing. Uh, you you have raced around the world. Looks like been to China, and uh, you talk about uh, Morocco and. So talking about international distance running, um, so tell us about what's your experience on the distance running and the distance running, uh, ultra distance running experience in, in around the world, like and you mentioned also Brazil. So let's talk about a little bit. Uh, I know the ultra running has has grown. I, I know at this time it had everything kind of stopped. It's been growing. I mean, I'm, I'm originally from Nepal, and I was told that there's a lot more ultra races there now than, than it was before. Tell us about your experience in ultra running, in the international ultra running. Well, I've been very, very lucky to have had the opportunity to run in some of these places. And um, running's a great excuse to not only see the world, but to see a lot of the United States too, in places and ways that you otherwise wouldn't. So uh, the race in China, for example, was an amazing experience. It was the uh, inaugural Mount Gaolagong Ultra. Uh, Mount Gaolagong is a sacred a mountain in the southwestern part, the remote southwestern part of China, not too far from the, the uh, Myanmar border, the Burma border. It's an area that uh, held a particular interest for me because it was that uh, in that area during World War II that my father actually flew bombers during World War II over the hump, over the Himalayas, and it's that part of the world where he was flying literally when i was running that race if it had been 75 years earlier and i'd looked up in the sky I'd, i would have seen my father flying in a plane so it was pretty emotional and uh, it was really an extraordinary experience difficult mountain race and uh beautiful scenery most of it quite rural uh it, it, you know it take me uh take me a long time to tell you the whole story but It was an extraordinary experience, and I would highly recommend for those runners listening to this to consider running overseas if you have the opportunity. Yeah, you won't regret it. Race in Brazil, Brazil 135, I ran a couple of times. Uh, the race director is a 
a friend, an ultra running friend. Um, it was a, a terrific race. It follows a, a pilgrimage route in Brazil, in the Sao Paulo, generally in the Sao Paulo area, but it's it's in the mountains uh, and uh, it goes from very small town to very small town uh, in what's mostly single track dirt roads. Again, virtually all trails, except when you go through these little towns in one end of the town and out the other to get back out on the trail. Extraordinary experience. Um, Camino de Fe is the name of the pilgrimage route that this 135-mile race is part of. And I've run in, uh, I've run in Canada, uh, ran a stage race in Canada, uh, Marathon de Saab in Morocco, forgetting one or two. But if somebody offers me the opportunity and I can afford the time and the money to get there, um, and feel it's a race I can I can manage, uh, then I'm absolutely going to absolutely going to take advantage of it. Uh, big disappointment this year is the race I mentioned to you in Artsakh, which is near Armenia. That would have been in a first time race again, a very beautiful and interesting, culturally interesting area that I was really looking forward to seeing, and an area that not many people go to, certainly not many Americans. Hopefully that race will happen next year. I'll certainly try to show up. And uh, it should be an extraordinary experience. So, yeah, running internationally is great. The more opportunities I have, the more I'm going to try to do. Definitely. Sounds like you're still excited about running all those races. So when I went to Nepal uh, last November, I ran. That was my first race in Nepal, and it was trail race. We were... We had to, they had to drive us up the top of the mountain. We kind of stayed in the top of the mountain. I didn't climb. It was a small circuit. Um, still, to, on the right, I could see the view of Himalayas. And then and I see the trail. I was like, it was, usually I was like, should I stop and take a picture? Or or should I be, should I be running? <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, those things you see, you don't get to see. Even, even, even though I'm from there, I never ran trail races as a race even you know growing up we had nothing there but but still uh i'd love to like you i'm excited to go back hopefully they have a, they have invited me to come and do some of the ultra races uh, i've met some ultra racing friends over there so hopefully i can go back and and run some of those races hope you have the opportunity to do that that'd be spectacular i i did have an opportunity to run in nepal a couple of years ago and it just didn't work out so I've never been there, but it would be uh, that's that would be one of my bucket list. Um, and oh, I did remember one other international race, and that's Spartathlon, which is which is in Greece, Athens mm-hmm. to Sparta. That's that's also a road race, by the way. You know, you name it. There's a there's so much variety in in surface, in weather, in topography, in uh, culture, and it just it's amazing how many places you can go to. Yeah. And each one of which will be totally different from anything else you've ever done before. That's for sure. Yeah, I think Annapurna 100 in, in Nepal, one of those ones race, uh, I would like to go and at least to try it out. Uh, it goes the ups and downs. So I I ran with and trained with uh, one of the one of the gentlemen who ran uh, the Annapurna 100 like two or three weeks before when I got there. He was talking about like, oh man, it sounds like heaven. So anyway, anyway, there's so many races, like you said, in in the U.S. and you know, in Canada and and around the world, so many ultra distance racing nowadays. So definitely uh, looking forward. Uh, just you talking and listening to you makes me just <laughs> want to go run some of these races. Just miss running, you know, uh, going places. I have 
once this thing opens, I promise to get out. Well, you have a lot to look forward to then, right? <laughs> Definitely. Bob, we uh, we talked to many different aspects, running running around, around the world, running locally and so on, uh, races and so on. Um, before uh, we we finish this interview, definitely like to uh, get insight from you. Um, I think you started running a little late in in the life uh, as a as a distance runner, ultra distance runner, um, and you still and listening to you, so excited about uh, still what's ahead. Uh, so tell us about uh, uh, your perspective on running, racing. What do you have learned through your time of running ultra distance? Uh, Tell us about uh, your experience being an ultra runner. That will help middle-aged runner like me or young runners who are listening to this podcast or older runner like you, so senior runners like you. So let's talk about that. Well, I can talk from the perspective of a you know middle of the pack to, to you know a slower a slower average kind of runner. Um, I can finish a hundred mile race uh, inside of thirty hours, uh, but not every one. So I'm I'm careful to try to select a race that's realistic for the, the, the speed that I'm able to go and, and sustain. That's both, the, the, which also takes into account the distance. So for example, uh, anyone should, I think, consider where they are able to train. If you're in South Florida, like I am, where it's flat and there are very few trails, it's going to be much harder to train for a mountain type race. And you ought to factor that in because your preparation, your training has to include a lot of things. It's time on your feet, obviously, um, but it's also getting used to the, the topography. What are you going to be facing? What about the weather, nutrition and hydration and electrolyte balance? All of those things are vitally important to the success of any ultra race and any ultra runner at any age. Um, and they have to be incorporated into training. So Unlike running a short distance, a 5K or a 10K or a half marathon or even a marathon, it's much more technical, much more complex than the training is so that you're realistic about the amount of time you have, uh, what your training regimen and training area will allow you to train for. And even something as simple as clothing is something you really need to factor in carefully. I know people that have had to drop out of races because they became uh, too sunburned or they, uh, they chafed so badly they couldn't go any further. Uh, and I'm not even talking about shoes and socks yet, and blisters and all that kind of stuff. But that all factors into choosing a race that's realistic and that you can enjoy. You know, if you're going to run a 100-mile race, you're going to get the heck beat out of you. I mean, it's, it's just the nature of it. Uh, it. They're hard to do. They're hard in your body. But you still want to be able to finish the race and have a smile on your face and know that your accomplishment was worth getting beat up a little bit. So, you know, choose your races realistically and for your ability level and your ability to train for them. And you should do fine and really enjoy the experience. Definitely. That sounds like such a great insight from your perspective because choosing a race, uh, sometimes we are unrealistic because we want to run that race. And, um, you know, but, but definitely there's other factors involved choosing a race. So, so definitely it was great talking to you. Uh, it's uh i hope uh that running world has not changed as as much as uh we think it is at this time but uh looking forward to racing and running being out there um before we close this interview uh i i know you already give awards advice but i still wanted you to go give us some some one word one line two lines of words of advice to all the runners out there 
so that they can look for what's ahead? Uh, boy, that, you've just given me a tough question. It's very hard to know really what's going to be in, in you know ahead of us. Uh, and I'll I think of it in terms of my own races that I put on uh, my trail race and my road race in the Keys. Um, you know, we don't really know what it's going to look like uh, next year for aid stations, for example. Um, you know, what kind of interaction will be possible with volunteers and runners? If you have a race where you have a crew, you need to meet a crew, or you uh, are on a team running a team race, for example. Uh, how will that look where you have more than one person, you know, you have a support crew, so there are a number of people together, where you locations where you have to meet somebody. If you're on a road race, even access to something like bathrooms, as simple as that sounds, right now that would be a problem uh, because of COVID. So we don't know what's going to happen, and um, all we can do is be patient, do the socially responsible things to help get this thing past us. I think that that's a, the most important thing we can do. Um, one other tip I meant to, I, I forgot to mention earlier, anybody that has not had huge experience running ultra distances, if you find a race that you're interested in and curious about, and it's a race where the runners have support crew assisting them along the route, get, fi try to find a runner who needs crew help and volunteer to crew for them. Experience the race as a crew member, and it'll give you such incredibly good insight into what the race is all about, so that when you do sign up to run the race, you'll know, not only know what you're getting into, but you'll have had a lot of experience understanding what the race is all about. So volunteering at a race, even at an aid station, I highly recommend. And if you have the opportunity to volunteer as a crew member, go for it every time. Definitely. I'm, I'm a runner, volunteer, uh, pacer. <laughs> I do play a lot of roles. It's good. So, but but definitely, you're so right about. It. I have friends who actually paced, and then next year they're actually running that race. So, or or you know they do a lot of work on it. So definitely, uh, it's been so pleasure to talk to you. Finally, catch up with you. Um, it's never too late to talk about things, uh, especially runners. We can talk for hours and hours. So, about our running. Uh, so definitely, thanks for your time. And uh, looking forward to seeing you somewhere here in Alabama. You said you have not run race anything in Alabama, and uh, or somewhere in South Florida or international somewhere. <laughs> so hopefully we can see each other. So thanks for your time. Thank you, thank you, Suman. I look forward to seeing you one of these days soon, sooner rather than later. <laughs> Definitely. Thank you. <laughs>